1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables.
2: Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military and foreign service who are joining us from remote locations around the world. Thank you for being with us and for your many emails and letters. In just a moment, the expert whose congressional testimony on climate change put global warming on the map, Dr. James Hansen, will be joining us to help separate fact from fiction when it comes to man's role in climate change. There's a lot of misinformation when it comes to the subject of climate change, and today we're going to do our best to stick to the science. But before Dr. Hansen joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. James Edward Hansen was born in Denison, Iowa. He obtained his undergraduate degree in physics and mathematics, his master's in astronomy, and doctorate degree in physics from the University of Iowa. In 1967, Hansen began working for the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, where he developed models for studying the atmosphere on the hottest planet in our solar system, Venus. Hansen refined these models to begin studying the Earth's climate. From 1981 to 2013, Hansen was the head of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies in New York City. And after stepping down, Hansen joined Columbia University to direct the program on climate science. In 1988, Dr. Hansen gave testimony before the United States Congress. This testimony sparked an international public debate on global warming. I would also be remiss if I did not add that Dr. Hansen is a member of the National Academy of Sciences and recipient of the Heinz Award, Ridenhauer, Prize for Courage, Carl Gustav Rossby Medal, and has been named one of the top 100 global thinkers and most influential people. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report acclaimed climate expert, Dr. James Hansen. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hansen.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Now, in order to really understand the scientific basis for global warming, many of us would have to go back to school. Uh, Most of us don't have the background to distinguish junk science from good science. So I thought maybe a good place to start today is to ask you to tell us just how much consensus there is among scientists who study the Earth's atmosphere.
3: Well, there's complete, practically complete consensus about how how the effect works and there is of course uncertainty about sensitivity of the system but even that has become uh, quite clear from empirical evidence. We have such detailed knowledge now about how the earth responded in the past when the amount of gases in the atmosphere changed that we don't need to rely on models which always have inherent uncertainties. So it's become uh, really clear what the eventual response will be to a change in atmospheric composition. What's more difficult is how fast it will respond. Things like the ice sheets That, uh, you know, there's never been a case in the Earth's history in which the composition of the atmosphere changed as rapidly as humans are changing it. We're taking out of the ground these fossil fuels and burning them on a century timescale while it took many millions of years uh, for the atmosphere to change that much uh, in the past.
2: Now, the Washington, according to the Washington Post, out of 700 biophysical scientists, uh, approximately 92 to 95 percent believe that human caused climate change is happening, uh, and other estimates uh, say that's over 95 percent. Is that right?
3: Well, sure. Among the scientists who are really in the field, it's much higher than that.
2: And it sounds as though. Uh, every year, there's more empirical evidence to indicate that there is uh, that human behavior is either contributing or is a great source of this climate change. Is that right?
3: Well, in fact, if it weren't for humans, the, we would be in a phase where the Earth would be slowly cooling off. So the warming that we are seeing... Uh, the humans have caused the entire thing. We, uh, we've we counteracted a small cooling trend and made it into a rapid warming trend. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I, I might be looking at this too simply, but when you burn fossil fuels, uh, one of the outcomes is you produce heat. That's just one of the byproducts. So if everyone's burning fossil fuels, then we're all generating heat. Uh, am, am I looking at this too simply?
3: <laughs> well, that that heat, is not uh, important on a global basis. It does actually show up in cities.
4: Mm-hmm. You have
3: a, a heat island effect, which is partly due to the heat that the, the fossil fuels that were burning, they actually put out enough heat to warm the local temperature. But on a global basis, that's, uh, that's negligible. It's um, less than 1% of the heat that we get by adding CO2 to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is the CO2 absorbs the Earth's heat radiation, uh, which normally is radiated to space, and it absorbs a, a small piece of it and radiates it back to the Earth. And that causes the planet to be slightly out of energy balance, more energy coming in from the sun, than going out as heat radiation, and that difference uh, is about, as I say, more than a hundred times larger than the direct heat that you get by burning the fossil fuels. So it's a big deal. You know the amount we can, and we can now measure it very precisely because we know where that energy has to go. The atmosphere is very thin and has a very small heat capacity, but the ocean is 4 kilometers deep on average, and it mixes and has a very large heat capacity. So it's slowly warming up. That's where this excess energy uh, is going. And we now have more than 3,000 floats distributed around the world's ocean, and they dive down to a depth of 2 kilometers and make measurements, including the temperature of the ocean, and what we find is that the ocean is gaining heat. Um, the average averages about seven tenths of a watt per six tenths of a watt averaged over land and ocean uh, per square meter, which doesn't sound like much, but it's equal to the amount of energy in 400,000 Hiroshima atomic bombs going off every day, every day of the year. So it's quite a lot of energy. It's going into the ocean, warming the ocean, and that's going to have other effects, uh, especially on ice sheets, because the ice sheets on Antarctica and Greenland, especially Antarctica, have tongues of ice that come out into the ocean. And as the ocean gets warmer, it melts those tongues of ice, and that allows the ice sheets to discharge icebergs to the ocean more rapidly. Mm-hmm. And that's going to cause sea level to go up in the future. In fact, it's starting to go up now.
2: Mm-hmm. But I, I think that for people who might be living on the ocean, they say, well, I don't see the sea level going up. Uh, we have to understand that it, what starts out as a uh, as a level that uh, has to be measured by scientists, right, and, and people in this field, will eventually take on a momentum uh, and as that momentum increases, it, it, it begins to show exponential effects. And that's something that our brains don't seem to be able to calculate is is uh, exponentiation. We don't understand that something might start out small, but in a very short amount of time, it begins to build up a momentum that can quickly become unstoppable. And we're going to talk well, about that well, as we yeah, get... That's, we, one,
3: of, that's yeah. one of the important uh, issues. Uh, yes. sea level is going up now about... Um, three point three millimeters per year.
2: Yes, which
3: is thirty three centimeters in a century, which so that's more than a foot. Um, so it is measurable, easily measurable. Yes, um,
2: absolutely. Uh, uh, we now we have to take a short break, but when we come back, let's talk about where that's going to go according to your forecasts. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Cellars wines?
5: The best place is your computer and go to CaraccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door.
2: And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, I've ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party. And it always has.
1: Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722.
6: Big Data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today.
5: Is your internet connection slow? Etheric Networks can help you. Etheric Networks is the Bay Area's locally owned alternative to DSL, satellite, and cable. We do a few things to make our service better. We have a great reputation, and our staff is committed to providing a great user experience. We listen to our customers and listen to our staff. We pay living wages. Our staff are local Bay Area engineers and professionals. We provide flexibility and personalized service. Being in Silicon Valley, we have direct contact with the networking software and hardware companies and can bring new technologies to ...to market before the cable and phone companies. We operate a tower-based fixed wireless network... ...as well as a fiber-optic backbone network that rings a bay. The combination creates an ultra-reliable high-capacity network... ...that you ought to try. KSCO Business Special. Business service up to 10 megabits per second symmetric... ...for as little as $299 a month... ...with a $399 installation fee. Etheric Networks. Call 650-399-4200.
1: Etheric.net. If you're the type of person who likes to volunteer and help others, this should interest you. What better way to help people than to help them overcome their health challenges? Longevity has been helping people overcome their health challenges for years. Our approach to health is drastically different than medical doctors who mostly only treat symptoms. As a veterinarian, Dr. Joel Wallach discovered that many common disease states are actually preventable and reversible. Our mission at Longevity is to educate Americans about their own health. If you like helping people, join us in our fight to save America. While you're helping people prevent and overcome health challenges, you will also be able to build a lucrative home-based business. So what are you waiting for? Come join us. And help save America. For more information or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888 245 0300. That's 888 245 0300.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and my guest today is the scientist who put global warming on the map for many Americans, Dr. James Hansen. And before the break, you were pointing out that at the present rate, the sea level's rising about a foot a century, which is pretty easily measurable. Uh, and this is at a much faster rate than was previously measured. So, uh, do we see this accelerating? I mean, it, it, when you look at forecast models, is it going to start uh, right? Is the sea level going to rise faster than a foot a century?
3: Yeah, that's, that's the big uh, issue. Um, the, um, you know, I argue that this is going to be a very nonlinear process. That means that it is likely to accelerate exponentially. And we have uh, we've only been measuring very precisely for with satellites for about 12 years, and in that time period, the rate of ice sheet mass loss has more than doubled. Um, An exponential process is more likely characterized by a doubling time rather than by a linear rate of change and if if we get four or five more doublings then we're at a level of meter scale uh, sea level rise and we could get several meters of sea level rise this century and we know in the Earth's history when ice sheets have disintegrated that's what has happened? We've got sea level rise of several meters in a century, so it's a real uh, a real threat. And in fact, as we understand the West Antarctic Ice Sheet better, we see that um, it is likely uh, to be unstable, and it alone has about three and a half meters of uh, sea level in it. Mm-hmm. So when you combine that with some contribution from Greenland and East Antarctica and small ice sheets around the planet, we could easily get five meters of sea level rise. So that's the the thing that we're worried about. But it is, uh, it is a difficult problem. Uh, uh, It's very hard to predict a nonlinear problem. uh, The time accurately. Uh, But so far the empirical evidence is consistent with that rapid a change if we continue to increase greenhouse gases at the rate that we are
4: now. Mm
2: -hmm. Now, there are a lot of people who uh, currently make the argument that these swings in the Earth's temperature are perfectly normal. They're part of a long-range seasonality that the Earth has. And uh, we have geological data that shows the Earth has gone through extreme warming and cooling periods uh, in which there weren't a lot of CO2 uh, emissions. Um, What do you say to those folks?
3: Well... Uh yes the the earth does naturally go through very large uh climate changes uh in fact however if you look at those on long time scales you see that they are very highly correlated with the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that doesn't mean that the co2 instigated the changes In fact, we know that these changes coincide very well with changes in the Earth's orbital elements. Uh, The Earth's orbit is not always the same. The Earth's orbit is not a perfect circle. It's elliptical. And the degree of electricity changes with time, and the tilt of the Earth's spin axis uh, wobbles. So that affects the seasonality of the sunlight and then that in turn affects the ice sheets and the ocean but the changes in the ocean especially the overturning of the ocean in the southern ocean around antarctica affects the amount of co2 in the atmosphere and then we find a very high correlation of that co2 amount with the global temperature Mm -hmm. so the ultimate uh determinant on the temperature to a large degree is the atmospheric composition, and that we are now changing at a rate far faster than those natural uh, changes, so we are now in charge uh, of the Earth's climate, unfortunately.
2: Now, this has become such a controversial subject. I mean, I'm sure that there are many dinner parties to which I will not be invited back, (laughs) because when you bring up the topic of global warming, everybody seems to have an opinion. Um, As with any complex field of study, uh, climate change uh, and research into climate change has had its setbacks. Um, Stephen McIntyre discovered that there were some errors in the historical Climatology records used in the 2000 analysis, uh, which I want to mention, were promptly corrected by NASA and had sort of an anemic effect on the overall results. Um, uh, the media seems to have a field day with anything that it has to be corrected or uh, reanalyzed. Uh, what do you think's going on? Why is this such an emotional subject?
3: Well, yeah. You know, those things are actually quite trivial in the science, and they didn't raise any uh, questions in the scientific community. Uh, They just allowed uh, public confusion because people who don't like the implications of climate change were trying to denigrate uh, the science. But in fact... Uh, There's little basis for that, but it's very easy to understand where this is coming from. It's not um, science. It's from the fact that some people fear that the liberals will use climate change as um, a means to increase taxes and control over their lives, and that is their real concern, rather than the science. So therefore, they deny the reality of the climate change issue. Not because the science really provides them uh, a basis for that skepticism. But but they have to attack the
2: science. I mean, you have to attack any... Look, I mean, all scientific discovery is iterative. You know, you start out with concepts, and then you've got to go out and prove those concepts. It takes a long time to get it nailed down. I What I don't understand is why everybody looks at every little nitpicky piece, and if, if something is just not reported accurately, boy, everybody has a field day with it.
3: Yeah, well, we, we've passed that point. Now the, the actual climate change is becoming large enough that the public can actually recognize that it's happening
2: they're having I, the experience we're, of it we're
3: pretty much passing uh that the problem you're pointing out was one of the last decade or so but but now um, almost everyone has to agree uh, certainly and easily a majority of people um, agree that it through climate change and the question then becomes what you do about it.
2: That's correct. And we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. Uh, We'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report.
0: Hello, I'm Paul, a student at Hillsdale College. Here is my professor, Dr. Larry Arne, on the separation of church and
3: state.
5: America's founders believed in a separation of church and state, in that the
3: country was not to have an official religion or an official sect. But that did not mean that government was to be hostile to religion, or even indifferent to religion, as many today argue. In fact, America's founding document, the Declaration of Independence, includes both a reference to God as the author of the laws of nature and a confident assertion that human beings are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Far from
7: being hostile or indifferent to religion, America's founders understood the theology of the Declaration to be an essential part of the education of citizens.
0: This Constitution Minute was brought to you by Hillsdale College. To join the national conversation on the Constitution, go to constitutionminute.org.
8: Michael Olson here, Watsonville Airport, something brand new and exciting, and I have the person that's responsible, and your name is? Ella King. Ella. Ella's at the airport. Yeah, that's right. You got it right. What are you going to do to please the palates of the Monterey Bay Area with Ella's at the airport?
9: Uh, Well, we are working with mostly local, organic, sustainable seafoods, grass-fed meats. So you start with that, and from there we build a beautiful meal, be it lunch, dinner, or weekend brunch. I think that from there, we've got you covered.
1: Ella's at the airport also has a great outdoor seating area where you can watch the airplanes come and go, and we also feature a full bar. Ella's at the airport, 100 Aviation Way in Watsonville. Call 831-728-3282 for reservations. That's 728-3282.
2: Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand-name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supplies' friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First.
8: Michael Olson's first law of the food chain. Agriculture is the foundation upon which we build all our sandcastles. That's right folks, no surplus of food, no sandcastles. So before we all get upset from the dust and noise of agriculture, let's get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show goes behind the scenes of the industry that keeps us all civilized. If you have a comment about the first law of the food chain, tell me, Michael Olson, all about it at MetroFarm.com. Now, see you all on KSCO, Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating What Radio on the food chain
1: What day was that?
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Dr. James Hansen. So let's move on to some solutions when it when it comes to an initiative like climate change, It isn't going to do a whole lot if the U.S. eliminates the use of coal and other fossil fuels, while China and Russia and other countries are increasing their burning of fossil fuels. Global warming really requires all nations to work together. So from a historical standpoint, do we have any models, any precedents where these global initiatives have actually worked?
3: Well, we do have one, and that was the ozone problem. Where um, there was international agreement to phase out chlorofluorocarbons, which uh, caused the destruction of stratospheric ozone, so that that worked uh, pretty well. But it was a single industry in which um, the same industry that produced the gases that caused the problem also could find a substitute and still continue to make money. This is a more difficult problem, but in fact, the solution is, is pretty straightforward and makes sense uh, for other reasons. What we would need to do is make the price of fossil fuels honest. At the present, we subsidize fossil fuels And we don't make them pay their cost to society. That means air pollution, water pollution from fossil fuels. If that causes a problem such as asthma for your child, the fossil fuel company doesn't have to pay for that. You have to pay for it. And the climate effects, which are beginning to occur and which will be larger in the future, again, the public bears the cost of that or the taxpayer, which is uh, the public. So what we need to do is add, collect a fee from the fossil fuel companies, collect it at the source, the domestic mine or the port of entry. And if we give that money to the public, an equal amount to all legal residents of the country, then the people who do better than average in limiting their fossil fuel use will actually make money. And the economy will actually improve. Uh, there's been economic study that verifies that. It makes sense because as the price of fossil fuels becomes more, more honest, reflecting their true cost to society, then the economy is more efficient. Economic theory would tell you that, and specific economic studies show that if you added $10 a ton to the uh, collected that from fossil fuel companies, and that went up $10 each year, at the end of 10 years, it would reduce U.S. emissions 30%, create 3 million new jobs, and the uh, GNP would go up. So it doesn't need to cost anything, uh, but you need to get that to happen. You need to get politicians to uh, agree to do that. And that is the tough part, because our politicians are heavily in the, you know, they're, they're in the hip pocket of the fossil fuel industry, which contributes to both political parties. So we're going to have to get the public behind this and that's what an organization called citizens climate lobby is trying to do there they've been growing the last four or five years almost doubling each year and they're beginning to be uh heard in congress they visit the senators and representatives they write letters to the editor and op-eds and um There actually have been some bills beginning to be introduced. Uh, One of them by California Senator Barbara Boxer. Um, I I didn't agree with that bill because she only wanted to give 60% of the money to the public. And the other 40% would go to the government, which no conservatives will never agree to that. Conservatives actually like the concept of a revenue neutral carbon fee, it, because that would not make the government bigger. It would make the economy work better. Um, and it would over a period of time move us from a dirty energy to clean energy. So it's you know, it's a solvable problem, but Unless the public puts some pressure on government, it's not likely to happen um, just from the politicians themselves.
2: Well, you say that the politicians are in the hip pocket uh, of dirty energy. Um, And translated, that means um, those companies make very large financial contributions to politicians' campaigns so that they can get reelected. Uh, my question is, does the Citizens' Climate Lobby make campaign contribu- contributions? Are they raising enough money to uh, give these politicians a run for their money?
3: No, they, they don't contribute any money to politicians. Well,
2: why not go do- toe-to-toe? Do- um, to
3: toe- why, to do- why
2: not raise a lot of money and, and dwarf and, and dwindle the campaign contributions of large fossil fuel companies?
3: Yeah, that 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 would be uh, impossible. You're talking about the largest industry on the planet. I mean, that's that's what's running our planet is fossil fuels. So you cannot compete with that amount of money. Just look at you. You can't turn on your television without seeing these advertisements for how the fossil fuels are making the United States energy independent. Um, you know, so you you can't compete against that, but you can use the democratic process. Um, and, I, you know, as I say, they're making progress, um, but they need more people to join that organization. Um, and I think um, the fact that cl- the climate change is becoming obvious is going to help uh, move this in the direction that we have to.
2: Now, you know, you bring up a good point um, when you were talking about the ozone problem and that there was global cooperation. Uh, Of course, it affected one major industry and they found a substitute. They found an economic substitute for that. So there was sort of worldwide uh, cooperation in that area. Um, why don't the fossil fuel companies begin transitioning their their businesses uh, evolving their businesses into clean energy? It seems like they're making some moves there, but I can never tell if those are just advert TV advertisements
3: yeah you're you're absolutely right. They put uh, windmills and solar panels on their websites, but they invest negligible amount of money in that. What they have invested hundreds of billions of dollars in is finding new ways to get fossil fuels out of the ground, and they've done a great job. They're not only fracking to get gas, but also to get oil, Uh, and unfortunately, what they've done is found a way to get more and more fossil fuels out of the ground, but it's an amount which we cannot take out of the ground and put into the atmosphere, or we guarantee that our uh, young people will inherit a planet in which climate change is out of their control. That's what we need to get understood uh, quickly. And we have to get fossil fuel industry to actually start investing its money in clean energies but that will not happen without a carbon fee because at present the best way for them to make money is fossil fuels because that without putting a fee on on the fossil fuels and making their price honest you can't compete with that
2: well what you're suggesting you're suggesting is economic sticks and carrots And uh, this has historically been shown to be effective in moving industry to change in virtually all uh, industries. So uh, it's certainly there's no reason to believe that it would not work with regards to cleaning up um, uh, the fossil fuel industry. We have to take our final break. When we return, we'll find out what lies ahead if warming continues. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you love
9: creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate.
7: Here's a September to Remember thought for the day. The way things used to be is the way things are. At the Watsonville Auto Center, we're talking about the small-town values of honesty, integrity, neighborliness, and the low, low prices that only come with a low, low overhead. Now is the perfect time to discover those values at Watsonville Auto Center's September to Remember credit sale. Qualified buyers of new cars can get factory financing as low as 0% and qualified buyers of used cars and trucks can get interest rates as low as 2.9%. Ten brands and dozens of new models wait for you at Chevrolet of Watsonville, Marty Frannich Chrysler Dodge and Jeep, Marty Franish Ford and Lincoln, and Watsonville Cadillac Buick GMC. Take the short drive to the way buying a car or truck should be, just off Highway 1 at Main and Auto Center Drive. It's a September to remember... On Auto Row in Watsonville. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me, Dane Sorensen, every Thursday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. at KSCO, AM
5: 1080, FM 104.1, and stream live at KSEO.com and enter Zero Doubt Zone,
1: where we seek truth, we vet facts, and we'll do it together. This week's show, we are diving into the latest mass shooting. What is driving these people to kill? And what is the role the media is playing in this
3: whole process? Visit ZeroDoubtZone.com and subscribe to us on YouTube. Get
1: involved!
0: On It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland this Saturday evening, 8 till 10. My in-depth arts interview is with award-winning singer-songwriter Tyler Stenson. With 10 albums of elegant folk music to his name, Tyler is known for his beautifully crafted lyrics and haunting music and vocals. I'll also be featuring my conversations on the street on this week's topic. I hope you can join me Saturday evening, 8 to 10, on AM 1080, FM 104.1 or ksco.com live stream.
2: Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is climate expert, Dr. James Hansen. Uh, Dr. Hansen, in a CNN poll taken earlier this year, uh, it was indicated that more than half of all Americans felt that climate change was not a threat to their life and not a concern. So for their benefit, give us an idea of what lies ahead. What what can we expect to see if warming continues?
3: Well, on the timescale... Of the next um, decade or two, what will be most apparent to people is uh continuation of the trends that have become apparent in the last few decades. People at low latitudes the, will be affected because, uh, especially in the summer, but in the tropics, all seasons, we're already at temperatures which are outdoors, uncomfortable for, for work, and most of, more than half the people are employed either in agriculture or construction, which is outdoor activity, and productivity is beginning to be affected by the global rise in temperature. But what will happen is you'll see Um, uh, an increase of the extremes that are beginning to occur. So the places that are dry are typically dry, the subtropics, uh, you know, the Southwest United States, the Mediterranean region. uh, These are becoming warmer and drier. And that's one of the expected effects of global warming. You get, increased extremes in both in both senses the wet places become wetter um, and the times at at places which are sometimes wet sometimes dry uh, when you do get rainfall you will tend to get heavier rainfall because a warmer atmosphere holds more water vapor so you see greater floods well right now we have these floods and the eastern part of the United States, which are called a 1,000-year floods. Uh, I've been saying, you know, the the 100-year flood in many places is now occurring a few times a century rather than once a century. That's an example of the increasing climate extremes that uh, we are beginning to see now, and we will see a stronger tendency in that direction. On the longer time scale, the fifty-year time scale, by that time, I think sea level a substantial issue. Again, assuming that we are so foolish as to continue on the fossil fuel path that we're on now.
2: Let me ask you this: Is there a point at which these effects are irreversible, and how close are we to that point?
3: Well, some effects are are already um in the pipeline uh it doesn't mean you know we're, sea level is going up now and it's going to at a modest rate and that will continue in any case mm-hmm. but if we want i think we can still avoid uh extreme case where we get uh multi meter sea level rise but that would require getting the planet back in energy balance. Right now, it's out of balance by a substantial amount which we can measure. In order to get it back in balance, we would have to reduce the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere from its present 400 parts per million to about 350 parts per million, other things being equal. That's possible, but we would need to phase down our fossil fuel use rapidly. And we would need to improve our agricultural and forestry practices so that we store more carbon in the soil and in the forests. Again, those are things which make sense for other reasons, but we actually have to do them. But you're
2: uh, optimistic that if we were to to, uh, embark on an aggressive course we could not only slow down but begin to reverse the effects.
3: Yeah, we could, but that, that will need to be a global program. And, and getting a global program is actually feasible. It would require the United States and China or the European Union and China, but I just don't see the European Union getting its act together. So it practically requires the United States and China to agree to have a carbon fee. A rising carbon fee. And then they would undoubtedly impose border duties on countries that do not have an equivalent carbon fee. Duties on products that are made from fossil fuels. That way, it would be a huge incentive for other countries to have their own carbon fees, so they can collect the money themselves rather than have us collect it at our borders.
2: Right, it would, way, it would neutralize the the tariff. In other words, if they if they went into some kind of uh, development of alternative energies.
3: Right. So it's um, so it's feasible to do this, but it does require that both the United States and China believe that this is a serious issue. And I think in the case of China, we are very close to that. Um, They do not deny the science at all. And they have uh, more than 300 million people living near sea level. They also have a lot of air pollution from fossil fuels. So they're very eager to move to clean energies. So it's it would be possible, but we're not yet at that point. We don't seem to have our own government uh, on board yet. But the president says we have a planet in peril, but uh, the actions he, he's not he's still approving uh, more fossil fuel extraction. We actually have to to phase down that, and it won't happen without a carpet feed.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, in the few minutes that we have left, is there a website that you'd recommend listeners can go to to get the straight scoop on climate change?
3: Well, you you can go to my website, for one thing, and find uh, roots to other things. But that's at www.columbia.edu slash Amberson, J-E-H-1. That's my initials, J-E-H.
4: Mm-hmm. But...
3: Um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start.
2: Okay, um, and do you have links then? Yeah, uh, do you have links then to this organization, uh, the Citizen Climate Lobby? To
3: say, go to citizensclimatelobby.org. That's just one word, citizensclimatelobby.org. That's if you want to work on a solution because they're eager to get volunteers uh, to start local chapters of this organization. Uh, It's a good way for people, if you have any time that you're willing to invest, they will help you understand what you need to do uh, to begin to influence uh, Congress.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have left today. But before we say goodbye, I'd like to thank you for taking time to straighten out some of the myths that we have about climate change and for your public service. Thank you, Dr. Hansen.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
2: If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with climatologist James Hansen, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Whether you agree with Dr. Hansen's conclusions or not, we would love to hear from you. Why is climate change so controversial? And what kind of evidence would you need to convince you that this is a real threat. And while you're at our website at RebeccaCosta.com, do yourself a favor and make your holiday easy this year by ordering autographed first edition copies of The Watchman's Rattle. The book opens with a foreword from E.O. Wilson, and the best news is you can order a custom dedication to the person that you're giving the book to. I'll tell you, I do not know of a single person who, who isn't delighted when they open up a book cover to discover a dedication to them by the author. So visit RebeccaCosta.com and put your order in early, and then sit back, relax, and enjoy the holidays. Where else can you get something customized for under $20 and will be so widely re- received? Um, my guest next week will tackle another controversial topic, one which surfaces every time there's a mass shooting and which will affect one quarter of the world's population sometimes during their life, mental illness. Former Congressman Patrick Kennedy will be here to explain how the stigma associated with mental illness produces unintended consequences which might otherwise be thwarted. Don't miss Patrick Kennedy next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa Report.